the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show. Sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the Yellow Van. Portions of today's program may be pre-recorded. Well, scratch Virgin Atlantic Airlines off the list. I, uh, I swore off airports a long time ago because I just don't have anywhere I need to go that justifies putting up with the stupidity that you run into at airports these days. It's been a long time since I've flown anywhere. Now, if you have somewhere interesting to go uh, and you're taking your private jet, then I can fly out of the, uh, out of the, uh, the, the hangar out there for private jets and not go through the airport. Give me a call. I might go. So the chances of me ever flying uh, Virginia Atlantic Airlines uh, were never very good. But now, after seeing the story in the New York Post with this headline, Virgin Atlantic scraps gendered uniforms, will hand out pronoun badges, unquote, there's no chance. Now, I'm old enough to remember when airline stewardesses were expected to be really good looking, and most of them were. Now, they're all flight attendants, and there are no standards for looks, apparently. And you don't have to be a woman, of course, but... Now, Virgin Atlantic Airlines has a picture out there of a female flight attendant in a red uniform standing next to a male flight attendant in a red uniform. And the guy, they're both actually wearing, but the guy is wearing a dress and high heels. This is in their picture. They're proud of it. And uh, he's posing as effeminately as possible. It's enough to make you puke. And I guess if you were a passenger on the plane, you would check his badge uh, to see if you should say, excuse me, sir, or excuse me, ma'am. You know, you wouldn't want to offend they by picking the wrong one. Uh, Them, I guess, offend them. I don't know how it works. And, and of course, if the plane would crash, uh, instead of having a, you know, a, a trained flight attendant who's actually a man, you know, wearing pants and shoes, with regular heels trying to help you get off the plane, you'd have a guy in a dress and high heels coming to your rescue. But if he, he would be wearing a badge, which would prevent you from using the wrong pronoun on him. In a statement, Virgin, Virgin Atlantic said, quote, uh, it wants to champion the individuality of its staffers by enabling them to wear clothing that expresses how they identify or present themselves. And, of course, passengers will also have the option of wearing pronoun badges. And the company says, quote, This move enables everyone to clearly communicate and be addressed by their pronouns. And you'll be happy to know that the ticketing system has been updated. Uh, It'll allow for those who hold passports with gender-neutral gender markers to select U or X gender codes on their booking. And, of course, you can request MX instead of Mrs., Mr., or Ms. abbreviations. Is this stupid enough for you? And let's keep in mind that this is all being done to accommodate 0.7% of the population. Now, uh, Virgin is owned by Delta. It's half half Delta, I think. So, So I don't know who came up with this, but I would bet everything I own, it's a Democrat. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at a big win for regular human beings against the big tech companies who censor them. And then in our second half hour, stupidity has taken over at James Madison's house. And I'll bet you can uh, imagine what it is. Stick around.
1619 Project was created by the New York Times with the purpose of canceling our nation's founding in 1776 and replacing it with a claim that America was actually a slaveocracy founded in 1619. This false fictional history of America is now being taught in a public school classroom near you. That's why you need to read Mary Graybar's book, Debunking the 1619 Project, Exposing the Plan to Divide America, now in paperback. The 1619 Project has become part of the curriculum for 75% of America's students as early as second grade. When you read Debunking the 1619 Project, you'll get an in-depth look at the false and divisive tactics being used to characterize America as a nation of oppression. Dennis Prager calls Debunking the 1619 Project the unvarnished truth about a fundamentally decent country, the United States of America. The 1619 Project is a dangerous collection of race-based obsessions that makes Mary Graybar's book, Debunking the 1619 Project, an essential read for concerned parents and educators. Get your copy of Debunking the 1619 Project by Mary Graybar, now in paperback wherever books are sold. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, call Select Quote at 1-800-940-6161. That's 1-800-940-6161. Or go to SelectQuote.com. That's 1-800-940-6161. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Hi, I'm Todd Saylor, the author of the book, The Brand, and the Attitudinal Disorder, Wired Differently. One of the keys to finding personal success is to start by realizing what makes you unique and therefore special. Many people in the world tend to suppress their views mainly because they feel it may not fit the general overall narrative of society. However, in the world that's changing so rapidly, giving yourself permission to be unique will be rewarding. I know this because I have, like so many others, been wired differently. Learning how to leverage your strengths builds self-confidence and creates a more positive outlook on life. Wired Differently is geared towards helping people stand out, especially those who have felt different or alone. In my series of books, I encourage people to be who they are. And if they are different, then be bold enough to admit it and own it and become successful in it. Discover a new world of opportunity at ToddSailor.com. That's Todd, S-A-Y-L-O-R. I'll second guest dinners with friends because they can be interrupted by diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, or oily stools. It turns out I have EPI, or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, which means I'm missing the enzymes needed to digest food. My doctor prescribed Creon Pancrelipase, an oral prescription medication that replaces pancreatic digestive enzymes. Creon treats EPI due to cystic fibrosis, chronic pancreatitis, pancreatectomy, or other conditions. Creon may increase your chance of fibrosing colonopathy, a rare bowel disorder. Tell your doctor if you have a history of intestinal blockage or scarring or thickening of your bowel wall. If you're allergic to pork or if you have gout, kidney problems, or worsening of painful swollen joints, call your doctor if you have any unusual or severe gastrointestinal symptoms or allergic reactions. Take Creon as directed by your doctor and always with food. Do not chew capsules as this may cause mouth irritation. Other side effects may include blood sugar changes, gas, dizziness, sore throat, and cough. These are not all the side effects of Creon. Creon is the number one prescribed EPI treatment. Ask your doctor about Creon for EPI and visit creoninfo.com or call 800-633-9110 to learn more. That's C-R-E-O-N info.com. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, if you're not a liberal, you probably wonder how much longer the uh, the tech companies are going to be able to censor conservatives. Or, or maybe if you're a conservative, you're a little uncomfortable with the government telling the tech companies what they can and cannot put on their platforms. Well, there's a law in Texas they, that may answer these questions. Uh, if it passes a test, uh, ultimately it looks like at the Supreme Court... Claire Morrell is a, a policy analyst, ethics, and uh, at the policy at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and she joins us now to explain all this. Claire, thanks for being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. So uh, let's start with what happened in Texas two weeks ago with HB two O. What does it uh, prevent big tech companies from doing? Yes, yeah, so Texas last 
uh, last year, last September, passed a law called HB 20. It is an anti-discrimination social media law that prohibits any social media platforms that have more than 50 million users in the U.S. from censoring any users based on the viewpoint expressed. So the goal of this law is to prohibit any type of viewpoint discrimination by social media companies. And just two weeks ago, the Fifth Circuit upheld that law and reversed a district court's injunction that had been placed on the law last December that had barred it from going into effect. So this was a major victory against big tech censorship. Okay, so what about the big tech saying their First Amendment rights are being violated by this uh, law? Yeah, so the the Fifth Circuit really excellently uh, kind of uh, responded to their argument and said that they've really inverted the First Amendment by saying that, you know, they have a right to censor speech. Um, You know, that's not what the First Amendment protects. It protects every person's right to the freedom of speech. But they're arguing that somewhere in that is this unenumerated right to censor speech that they have what they call editorial discretion um, that is protected by the First Amendment. And the Fifth Circuit said that editorial discretion is is not a First Amendment protected expression. And and the platform censorship, therefore, is not, uh, you know, protected by the First Amendment. So the bottom line is the Fifth Circuit said social media censorship, that's not editorial discretion. It is not protected by the First Amendment. And, um, so how is that different from, uh, uh, say, I work for a TV network and uh, I and my boss telling me that there's certain uh, political views I'm not allowed to ex- express. I, I, a lot of people will say, uh, incorrectly, of course, that someone like in that situation when th- their First Amendment rights are being uh, violated because they don't understand that only the government can really violate your First Amendment rights. Your boss can tell you, anything about what you're allowed and not allowed to say on his radio station, right? Or TV station. Yes, right. No, that's correct. And so um, just to clarify, so what the tech companies were saying, though, is that they were trying to argue that the First Amendment, they protect their right to censor speech. And so the state of Texas in passing this anti-discrimination law saying they can't censor certain users based on their viewpoint was then a violation of that First Amendment, you know, right that they found to censor speech. And the Fifth Circuit said, listen, the First Amendment right to your own freedom of speech, social media platforms, is not inhibited in any way by this law. Platforms are free to tweet and post and speak as much as they want. It is not in any way restricting their own speech. It's simply saying that they cannot discriminate against certain viewpoints on their platform. And so it's really, they're taking a common carrier law approach to say that these platforms are serving such a key public function. There are major communication channels of today. And so we have a right to just make sure that they're open to all customers without discrimination. And so they've tailored that to say without discrimination against certain political or religious viewpoints that are being expressed. And so it's not in any way impinging on anyone's speech. It is just saying that these platforms, if they hold themselves out as a conduit of the speech of other people, can't select certain viewpoints that are allowed and those that are not. And um, so it's still, and and believe me, I like this law, but it's it's still at some point, does the tech company have no control whatsoever on what goes what what is put up on their on their their platform? Uh, if if you know you say it's it's views expressed, is that political views or could it be um, could it be if I want to put porn up on there that they can't tell me I can do that or if I if I want to put uh, what they would call hate speech or incite inciting violence? How how's, how are the line, lines drawn there? Yes, no, it's it's a great question because, of course, we don't want, you know, pornography to be proliferating on these platforms. And so these law, this law in Texas is not a content-based kind of regulation or restriction of speech. And so 
it's not saying certain types of content are allowed or not because that would be very problematic. It's really trying to use the body of anti-discrimination law, common carrier law, to just say that if a certain person's account is being taken down or their posts are being removed because of a certain political or religious viewpoint that's being expressed, that is what is not um, permitted. And, And again, a lot of these issues are going to have to just be decided in court in terms of what that actually looks like. So the law is is really just allowing users who feel like they have been censored wrongfully for a particular viewpoint by big tech platforms to be able to actually bring a case against them in court. And then they'd have to prove the evidence that they were, you know, harmed or discriminated against in this way. But right now there's no legal recourse even open to people who have been censored because of Section 230. Courts just dismiss those cases outright. And so it would actually just provide an opportunity for these cases to be argued and heard. And again, ultimately, they're going to have to provide evidence um, that they were discriminated against for a viewpoint. And so this isn't a content regulation. It's not, it would not have an effect on platforms' ability to moderate certain harmful, obscene content like pornography or hate speech. Because again, they're empowered to do that by Section 230 which is a good Samaritan protection to take down content that is harmful. They're protected um, for their moderation decisions in removing that type of content. So would it be up to me then as an individual and an individual case to uh, cite that law if I wanted to go to YouTube or Facebook or Twitter and say, listen, they've, they've blocked me and all I was trying to do was express my opinion um, would it be, uh, does it open up like thousands of court cases where each person who feels like they're being, their their First Amendment rights are being uh, violated, that they would have to bring a lawsuit or, or challenge it somehow? Yes, exactly. So it creates a private cause of action so that an individual, and again, this only applies to individual users in Texas, um, can say that, you know, I think I was discriminated against because of a viewpoint. So my account was taken off Twitter. And so they could bring a lawsuit against Twitter in the Texas court and seek declaratory and injunctive relief, which is basically to say that they would want their account reinstated or their post reinstated. But there's there's no um, provision for damages. So just to be clear, they're, they're not, there's no opportunity for people to get money from these big tech companies to sue for any type of monetary damages, but it would just simply be for relief um, to say that I think I was wrongfully taken off Twitter for this viewpoint expressed. And so I'm going to bring a lawsuit against Twitter in a Texas court. And then I'd have to prove the evidence. um, And then if the judge ruled in my favor, Twitter would have to essentially reinstate my account and give me relief in, in that way. We're talking to Claire Morell, uh, policy analyst at Ethics and Public Policy Center. Um, and um, so you mentioned 230, but before we get to that, because um, I want to see if you can clear that up for us, whom did the judge say was protected then by the First Amendment in this case? The users and not the companies? Is that the idea? I'm talking about the users of the platform and not the platform itself? Yes. I, I, I'm not sure it was that explicit in the sense that, of course, um, user speech is protected. Um, you know, they everyone has a right to free speech. It was more they were just clarifying that tech companies do not have a First Amendment right to censor speech. Um, and so they claimed that they had editorial discretion as a protected First Amendment category to basically say this law would be unconstitutional by requiring them to host all viewpoints and not discriminate against them. And the judge clarified that it is not a First Amendment right to censor speech. So a good, a good example of what's happening right now, uh, I don't know if you saw the, the speech, uh, you know about the speech by the woman whose name I don't have in front of me right now, sorry, but uh, she was elected the first uh, woman prime minister of Italy. And, uh, oh, yes. And her speech was just a spectacular speech, and it went viral, of course, and and all of a sudden YouTube disappeared it. Um, And I don't know know what the basis of of their censoring of it was, but she would then have to to sue YouTube in order to get that video put back up? 
That's correct. And, and in that case, um, I'm not sure there'd be relief for her in this law in the sense that she's not a resident in the state of Texas. So the effects of this law is going to be limited for the time being to the state of Texas. Well, I'm a, you are res- yeah, excuse me, but I, I'm kind of assuming that if it, if it works in Texas, then other states are going to do it. And you would hope that if it does get to the Supreme Court, it would be it would be a, a federal law, right? Yes, I, I would hope that if the Supreme Court upholds it, that other states uh, would follow suit in passing similar laws, so there would be a broader effect. Yeah. But yes, to your point, it's about the prime minister. That would it would be the kind of thing that then that they could you could appeal to, like you'd be able to file a lawsuit. Where right now there's there's no there's no mechanism available to people to rectify these kind of censorship issues. Um, you know, they can appeal to the platform directly and say, "Hey, would you please." Would you know, let my video back on, and, and that's about it. They can't do anything else. Um, and so this would actually finally provide a legal avenue um, for users who have been censored because of their viewpoints to be able to bring that to a court of law and argue, provide evidence, and show why they were discriminated against and seek relief um, from that censorship. Okay, so a couple minutes ago you mentioned uh, Section 230. We hear about that a lot. Um, could you explain what that is and, and how, as you write in your piece, uh, the tech companies are trying to have their cake and eat it, too, with Section 30, 230? Yes, yeah, so Section 230 is the law that governs the Internet today, and it, it protects companies from being liable for the speech of others that is hosted on their platforms. Um, so it gives them immunity um, from essentially being considered publishers. Because, again, back when this law was passed in 1996, the Internet really functioned like a billboard or sorry, a bulletin board. And so it was to say that people would be protected for what other people were hosting and posting on their bulletin board, that they weren't legally responsible for that. And so it was helped the Internet get started. And um, and so it provides them immunity protection from being responsible for the third-party speech of others hosted on their platforms. The problem is that courts have really overly expanded and interpreted that immunity and given them immunity for their own wrongdoing and for even things like distributing um, content. They're immune from that now. So it's, it's been greatly expanded beyond its original intent. But what I'm trying to point out in my piece is that they do have immunity from publisher liability under Section 230, but now they're claiming that they have this First Amendment protected right to editorial discretion, which is, in their words, is editorial discretion, which that's their censorship decisions. And so that is a right traditionally held by publishers, like newspapers, um, to say that they have editorial discretion. And so it's just, it's very backwards for them to, to claim that they have this protected First Amendment right to editorial discretion which is really like something that publishers do. And then at the same time say, oh, but we have complete immunity from any type of publisher liability. And, um, and so that's why I said they can't, they can't have their cake and eat it too. They have, exempt, they have this publisher uh, liability protections, and so they can't now claim that they are you know, acting like publishers with this protected right to editorial discretion. Well, so there's a conflict between the Fifth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit, uh, and it's, uh, I guess you're saying it's headed for the Supreme Court. You think you're pretty confident it's going to end up there? I am. Um, because of the nature of these issues, there's a circuit split. Um, the Fifth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit have disagreed both, both on some of these First Amendment issues and also on the question of treating these platforms as common carriers. And this is really kind of a novel legal area in, in terms of these tech companies and, and what can be done in terms of their censorship. And so I, I expect that because of the Fifth Circuit ruling upholding this law, that the tech companies are going to appeal this up to the Supreme Court. Um, and because of the circuit split, I do think the Supreme Court is likely to take the case and make a ruling on this issue. And so um, that will probably be within the next kind of calendar year or so. And so definitely an important case to follow. Um, and I, it, this one will be for all the marbles. If there's really any chance at reigning in big tech censorship, this Texas law has to be upheld at the highest level. And who's your money on if it gets to the Supreme Court? Who's my money on? Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I think that I think that this is a, a live issue and, and it's a fight that's very much up for grabs. I think that the justices that need to be convinced are going to be Justices Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. And so I think it's fate ultimately lies in their hands. Um, and, and this is why this is the time for uh, legal strategy to really get put into motion for good amicus briefs to be filed, because I think that there is. Uh, there's definitely arguments to be made that could be compelling and convince them and win them over. So I think it's a very much an, uh, a live fight and uh, will be exciting to see what happens. I have like few, just 10 seconds left. Uh, it, it, it does. The law stands in Texas right now, though. It does. In Texas, it, it is uh, it's going to be in effect. And so it will be interesting to see what that, what happens there. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Claire. No, thanks for having me. Okay, thanks. That's Claire Morrell. She's a policy analyst, Ethics and Public Policy Center. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. After Hurricane Ian, hundreds of hospital patients are being evacuated now from facilities across the Fort Myers region in Florida. We're in the process of evacuating two health care facilities to safer locations north. Governor Ron DeSantis in his morning briefing. Hospitals have been hit by three main issues, power outages, floodwaters, and one large health system. Without water in all of their facilities. Florida Hospital Association President Mary Mayhew says that system's fast approaching a point where they will not be able to safely take care of their patients. At least nine hospitals affected and 1,200 patients being evacuated. Meantime, the Florida Healthcare Association says about 3,400 residents have been moved from more than 40 nursing homes. I'm Ben Thomas. The storm is expected to next impact South Carolina. This is SRN News. Charlie Dombeck here from Key City Capital. As a practicing CPA for nearly 30 years, I have found that 80% of your ability to grow your wealth is dependent upon two factors, taxes and investment performance. At Key City Capital, we improve investment performance by diversifying capital into off-market investment opportunities in passive rental real estate and alternatives like asset-backed lending. We recover dollars that clients unnecessarily pay in the form of income taxes, creating a lifetime annuity of savings. We are responsible of passive, affordable, single, and multifamily residential rental investments, which are located in Sunbelt landlord-friendly states. These investments are the top choices in a rising interest rate and inflationary environment. They represent a store of value protecting your capital from market volatility. Learn how we at Key City Capital can help you ultimately grow your wealth rapidly. Connect with me at keycitycapital.com or give me a call at 817-912-1569. Jay Sekulow doesn't agree with the vice president. The first request we made, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure. So painful to get to there. If you mean by secure, it's not secure. That's Yeah, I mean, we all know it's not secure. Yeah, no, I mean, look, she should be honest in saying we have a disaster at the southern border. Sekulow, weeknights at 6, right before Brandon Tatum at 7 on AM 1250. The answer. Hear the latest reporting and analysis on the big stories of the day on the Daybreak Insider Podcast. It's top-notch reporting from SRN News, along with the sharpest insight from Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Dennis Prager, Sebastian Gorka, and the voices of townhall.com. The Daybreak Insider Podcast. It's your first look at today's top stories. Available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and at SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Attention, this is a special alert for all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an overpriced auto warranty or no warranty coverage at all. Due to the increase of new and used car prices, repair costs, and the price of gas, people are keeping their cars longer than ever, which is why CarShield is announcing a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on covered auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can save thousands for covered auto repairs. Yes, you heard that correctly. You could save thousands on future auto repairs. Our specialists are standing by for all drivers to call for a free quick quote. Call 800-518-1985. Vehicle protection plan pricing is at an all-time low. Plus, drivers who purchase this coverage today will receive rental car options, free roadside assistance, and free towing. Call 800-518-1985 now for your free quick quote. That's 800-518-1985. What do you have to lose? 
Call 800-518-1985. Again, 800-518-1985. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. More delays on 28. It's just been a real trouble spot. Now there's an accident inbound jammed up from RDC Park to approaching Highland Park Bridge. Outbound also tied up Route 8 up to RIDC Park. That could be a gaper delay. Now on the uh, Parkway East outbound, a tie-up from Glenwood up to Edgewood, Swissvale. An accident off to the shoulder there. Inbound heavy from Boulevard of the Allies to the Fort Pitt Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Clear skies for tonight with a low of 42. Tomorrow, sunshine followed by clouds, the high 67. Tomorrow night, we'll see a little rain from tropical rainstorm Ian Late. Otherwise, mostly cloudy skies, low 51. Saturday, some rain from tropical rainstorm Ian at a high of 61. Sunday, clouds followed by a brightening sky, high 65. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. Are you kidding me? Gas prices are up again? Somebody has to do something. Well, someone did. That's why I use Upside. Upside? What's that? It's a free app that pays you back real money for every gallon of gas or diesel you buy. I just earned 25 cents back on every gallon of this tank. Hold on. So the Upside app is free and you actually get cash back every time you use it? No strings attached? Yep, it's awesome. Check it out. It only takes a couple of minutes to sign up. Instead of just watching your dollars go into your tank, start putting money back into your wallet with the free app from Upside. With the price of gas today, it's big news and big money. To cash out of your Upside cash, just transfer it to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card. Upside users have already earned over $200 million. Now it's your turn. Download the free Upside app and get cash back on every gallon of gas. Use promo code SALEM for an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's code S-A-L-E-M. Use code SALEM for an extra 25 cents per gallon back in your first fill-up. Cash back not available in gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. The secret to the market beat stock pick strategy is so simple it is going to drive you crazy ask yourself is this current market making you sick logging into your brokerage account day after day only to see lots of red well let me tell you a secret the best stocks to own are the companies that are consistently printing real profits year over year the crazy thing is that it's even more effective in months like right now down markets means everything goes on sale including these profit printing machines want to stop playing the losers game and guessing what the next hot stock will be market beat is about to text you our new report seven stocks to buy and hold forever when you text the word profit to 68285 these companies print billions each year in profit and show no sign of slowing down get your free copy of seven stocks to buy and hold forever just text profit to 68285 text the word profit to 68285 don't wait this report is only available for a limited time. Text the word PROFIT to 68285. Standard message and data rates may apply. Please consult with your investment or tax professional. AM 1250, The Answer. Brandon Tatum, unapologetically Christian and 100% real. We have to pray for and be uh, mindful of what's going on in Florida. We believe that God will bless those there and help protect them. But we also know that we cannot let these left-wing media personalities lie on Ron DeSantis and make it as if he's a God controlling the weather. The Officer Tatum Show, later tonight at 7 on AM 1250. The answer. Over 50,000 police officers are assaulted on the job each year, leading to injuries and death. This is the reality they deal with when making contact with the public. Another reality is that if someone doesn't comply with a lawful order or uses force against them, police may have to use sufficient force in response to obtain compliance. Use of force is always ugly. Nobody likes it, especially police, and nobody knows how it will turn out. Spread the word. For de-escalation to work, both parties must de-escalate, and de-escalation isn't necessary if there is no escalation. Help police by not escalating. Don't attack or try to disarm an officer, whether it's getting asked a question, getting a citation, or getting arrested. Don't argue. Don't resist. Don't flee. After the encounter has been resolved is the time to address any complaints. Comply now, complain later. Keep everybody safe. This message brought to you by the National Police Association. To learn more about how to help law enforcement accomplish its goals, visit nationalpolice.org. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, uh, James Madison was a pretty smart guy. 
Uh, he's credited with writing the Constitution that created the, the greatest national government uh, and the greatest country in the history of the planet Earth. And, of course, uh, you know, that would include the Bill of Rights, kind of an interesting and important thing. His home in Sperryville, Virginia, Montpelier, is a museum. At least it used to be. Now it's a joke or heading toward becoming a joke. Brenda Hafera is the assistant director and senior policy analyst for the Simon Center for American Studies at the Heritage Foundation. She wrote about this, and uh, Brenda joins us now. Brenda, how are you? Well, John, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, you were on the phone being uh, called by Mike when I, I did, said in my intro that, that, that it appears that uh, they're, they're turning Montpelier in Virginia into a joke. Um, I don't know if that's too strong, but... It was once a museum. Uh, I don't know if it still is uh, one uh, dedicated to the guy who wrote our Constitution, but what's changed or is changing at this point? Well, unfortunately, it is still a museum, but not so much dedicated to James Madison, unfortunately. There are currently no exhibits on James Madison at Montpelier at his own home. So Madison is discussed don't only during a portion of the house tour, which focuses on some biographical information about James and Dolly Madison, the enslaved people, and the Constitution. And his three big ideas are discussed during a brief video in the visitor center. But that's where Madison's role really ends. The predominant focus at Montpelier is the mere distinction of color exhibit which is a series of exhibits on slavery in the cellars and the South Yard. And some of those exhibits talk about the individuals and families who were enslaved there and what life was like for them. But some of them have a really political focus. So, for example, one video in the basement of James Madison's home is on slavery's lasting legacies. And it shows protesters carrying Black Lives Matter signs and police brutality signs and contends that there are probably more defeats than victories in pursuit of justice and fairness and equality in American history. That sounds pretty ugly. Um, So what does a person who thinks he or she is going to see, um, you know, who thinks that that's what they're going to see is exhibits on James Madison's contribution what do they see upon arrival at Mount Pelier? How, how do you, how quickly do you know that you're in the wrong place? If that's what you're going, if that's what you're looking for. Well, I think you you know pretty quickly because it's really what's missing that I think people will find the most disconcerting. So what's missing is Madison himself, a focus on his accomplishments, and Madison was father of the Constitution. And the reason he's earned that title is because he was the man with the Virginia plan at the Constitutional Convention. He kind of set the tone and agenda of the convention. He was the primary author of the Bill of Rights, and he wrote many of the Federalist Papers, which ensured the ratification of the Constitution. And those accomplishments, which are significant in American history, are really sidelined. So that's missing at Montpelier. Missing are James Madison's own words, his own explanation for certain things. So, for example, there's a single exhibit on the Constitution, and it's not a standalone exhibit about the Constitution itself, but it's part of the slavery exhibit and really seeks to prove that the Constitution is a pro-slavery document. And in Madison's own words, he would contest that. He said that the constitutional delegates at the convention refrain from admitting into the Constitution the principle that you could have property in men. And that's the constitutional basis that later allows for the elimination of slavery. And his explanation is missing in that exhibit. This is amazing that this is going on, but I read, uh, I've read a couple of biographies of James Madison, and I was just looking it up as you were talking there to make sure I was right about this. He was born on March 16, 1751, okay? That would make him 25 years old uh, when the Declaration of Independence was written, and mm-hmm. not, not yet 30 when he wrote the Constitution. 
The guy was a uh, a genius he, who, who wrote a document. Mo- I, I know there were other people contributing, but he's mainly responsible for the for the finished product. And the only thing they can focus on is that he was uh, was not able to separate himself from a culture that existed for thousands of years, which uh, was that there were slaves everywhere, not just here on this continent, but all over Europe and Africa. And he's going to be totally devalued now because as much of a genius as he was at a, such a young age to come up with what he came up with, he, he wasn't good enough to, to separate himself from the culture that he was born into, which was slave ownership. So I think what you said is correct. Madison is very, very young. He is, Madison is a genius. He is a, a significant scholar. He's one of the youngest delegates at the Constitutional Convention, and yet arguably he is the most important. Others will say George Washington or, or James Wilson. But Madison really frames the conversation, and he does that by studying ancient and modern confederacies. He's trying to solve this problem of how a republic can actually exist over a large territory. This is something that had never been done before, and he believes that he has the answer. And I think it's true that slavery is part of our past, and we should talk about it. I don't think any honest American wants to whitewash our history, but we should always acknowledge that slavery was something that was contradictory to our principles and that the founding generation and also all subsequent generations that came afterwards worked to eliminate and to put slavery as the central animating force behind our economy and behind the Constitution really does a disservice not only to the founding generations, but the, to those generations of Americans that came after them as well. What did uh, what did Madison write into the Constitution that allowed for the eventual end of slavery? How, and was he how aware was he of having to do of, of wanting to do that or needing to do that? So slavery was an incredibly contentious issue at the Constitutional Convention, and it's not contentious because of the question of morality. With the exception of perhaps one delegate, everyone agrees that slavery is wrong, but it exists as an institution, and so they have to deal with that, and they inevitably have to compromise. And what we have to remember is that there is no guarantee that America would come to exist at all if no compromises were reached. And the Southern delegates were actually threatening to go off and form their own nation. And if that had happened, if the North had allowed that, the North would have been able to maintain some kind of moral self-righteousness, but they would not have been able to help the actual people who were enslaved because the South would have formed their own country and the North would have had no influence over the South in eliminating slavery. So that is one part. The other part is not allowing the idea that you can have property and men in the Constitution, and that is the political basis eventually in our history that leads to the elimination of slavery, and that's something that Madison and the other delegates were very careful in maintaining. So, and we're talking to uh, Barbara Hafera. She's the assistant director and senior policy analyst for the uh, Simon Center for American Studies. Uh, I'm sorry, Brenda. Uh, what did I say, Mike? Uh, I, I'm the worst with names. I'm looking right That's at it. Too. Right. Uh, I'm sorry about that, Brenda. Uh, but uh, it's with the Heritage Foundation. Um, so, uh, who's responsible mostly for the stupidity that's existing at Montpelier now? So the Montpelier is owned by the National Trust for Historic Preservation, which has a great deal of influence and resources. They have almost $412 million in assets, which includes $4.5 million in government grants. And they own 27 historical sites around the country, including Montpelier. And they've really been supportive of some of the things that are going on at Montpelier. The other group that seems to have been influential 
is the Southern Poverty Law Center, which started out as having a good mission, but has now really become an extremist group. And they seem to have had a great deal of influence at Montpelier. One of their associates was featured in the video that I mentioned. He was actually asked to produce that video for Montpelier. There's a great deal of overlap between the SPLC's critical race theory curriculum and the exhibit on the Constitution at Montpelier. Montpelier has an exhibit aimed at teaching children about race and slavery. That's the only children's exhibit at Montpelier. And they do that partly through children's books. And all eight of the books that they have featured in that exhibit are recommended by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And how much of this is just laziness? Uh, You did a great job of describing what Madison and the other uh, people involved with the writing of the Constitution were facing. Uh, And you really can't, it's a lot easier to just uh, do what they're doing now and make it, uh, no pun intended, a black and white issue of slavery good or, uh, uh, or slavery bad. Um, so is it, is, it, is it just not possible anymore to include nuance in a, in a museum like this? You, you can't, you, you just, because you can't, people are, they're either not smart enough or not patient enough to look into it and, and see how complicated it was. So I would say it's a mixture of both. One is the fact that we don't read our primary sources anymore. So that's in part why our history has become so contentious, because when there are alternative views, we have no way to decipher between those two views unless we read the primary documents, unless we read what the founders actually said about these things. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I don't think at Montpelier that it's, a matter of negligence. I think this is a this has been deliberate. The Southern Poverty Law Center seems to have been influential for a number of years. Montpelier just had a board takeover by what is called the Montpelier Descendants Committee and folks on that committee, which purports to represent the descendants of those who were enslaved at Montpelier. But if you look at Montpelier's documents, they have a rubric for how slavery should be taught. And it says that descendants can include not only those who have an actual genealogical connection to those who were were enslaved, but anyone who feels connected to the work the institution is doing, whether or not they know of a genealogical connection. And that understanding is what allowed a board takeover that included people whose work has appeared in the 1619 Project, the associate from the Southern Poverty Law Center who has been involved at Montpelier for some time, and Soledad O'Brien, who is a former CNN host and journalist. So this seems to have been a very concerted effort at Montpelier by a number of groups and individuals. I'm, uh, I got about a minute left here, Brenda. Uh, just uh, your opinion on this. Uh, I don't know. There's no way of knowing this for sure, but I guess. But what to what end are they doing this? Uh, is it to say that you know, just to let everybody know that America is not as great as you think it is or was? And uh, is it to punish uh, the people who, who were uh, responsible for this 250 years ago? What 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 is the what is the the motivation for trying to focus so much on slavery? and and, and I, the evil that they see. I think what they're after is to taint the Constitution itself and to taint the ideas of the American founding. Because if you paint those ideas as unlovable, as America herself as unlovable, then you open up the opportunity to for America to be radically transformed Mm -hmm. and for the ideas of our founding and our constitution to be replaced by something else. And I think the folks that we are talking about would want to replace it with something like critical race theory. Yeah. Let's have Soledad O'Brien write the next constitution. That'll work out pretty well. (laughs) Hey, Hey, Brenda, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. That's Brenda Hafera from the Heritage Foundation. We will be right back.
ad paid for by the Sentinel Group. Attention Marines, military personnel, families, and contractors who were stationed at Camp Lejeune. Were you present at Camp Lejeune between August 1953 and December of 1987? You may be entitled to significant compensation. For nearly 34 years, those in the Marine Corps' base Camp Lejeune were exposed to contaminated drinking water, resulting in devastating injuries including several forms of cancer, adverse birth outcomes, Parkinson's disease, and more. North Carolina's procedural laws have prevented victims from getting the justice they deserve, but passage of the Camp Lejeune Justice Act of 2022 would allow you or a loved one to file lawsuits seeking compensation for illnesses and injuries linked to the toxic water. Call today for your free consultation, 800-860-3973. Let our experienced attorneys fight to get you the compensation you deserve, and you pay nothing unless there's a recovery in your favor. Call 800-860-3973. That's 800-860-3973. Again, 800-860-3973. Hi, Dennis Prager here with some information on a new product that's quite fascinating for staying healthy, Cofix RX. Everybody's been in the situation, the person next to you is sniffling or even coughing. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving, and to limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix is just like that. Cofix is a providone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that helps keep you protected from airborne viruses. With Cofix RX nasal spray, you'll target colds, flus, and other viruses right where they breed in your nasal cavity. Cofix RX should be in everyone's pocket, purse, or medicine cabinet. Visit CofixRx, that's C-O-F-I-X-R-X dot com for a doctor, pharmacy, or health food retailer near you or use the coupon code Prager for 20% off at CofixRx.com. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Oh, you know, when I left the Big K about 12 years ago uh, and I was, I thought retired semi i think i was even more than semi retired uh i went went for a while there where i had no job to go to and um it took me not very long to figure out that i couldn't do that it was boring me to death so i uh one of the things i had planned to do was take a trip as i'm a big history guy i was going to take a trip to virginia and go see montpelier maybe uh go to george washington's home uh thomas jefferson's and uh, I, it's always been something I, I've always wanted to do. I, I, I've a I love for history. There is no chance on this earth of me ever setting foot at Montpelier or at uh, any of the other places because it would make me want to throw up. Just thought I'd let you know. I'll talk to you tomorrow. John Steigerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow fan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.